Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. Thanks for joining us. I'm very happy to say that today we are joined by a new guest, new for 2020, 2020, 2022. <laughs> Too many 20s. We haven't even begun the boozing. We're joined by a new guest, new to you, but not to me, because we've been friends for over 20 years. Well, yes. Can yes. you believe it? 22. 22. 22. <laughs> so welcome, Rosie. Hello. 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 Thank you very much for having me. Oh, thanks for joining us. I'll tell you what we're going to talk about, because I need some input from Rosie on some uh, local sort of geographical background. Yeah. We're going to be talking today about the White Dragon of Bewers. Amazing. And that's something, if you've come across it, you might not know it's called the White Dragon of Bewers because Bewers is spelt B-U-R-E-S. Who would imagine to, to call it Bewers from such a spelling? But that's what Rosie informs me is the it correct is, spelling. It is, it's Bewers, yes. Excellent. In a moment, Rosie, I'm going to ask you about your connection to Bewers. Okay. But shall we have a tiny try of our drink? Yes, please. We've just prepared our first drink. Now, this is a White Dragon cocktail. I didn't invent this drink. No. Someone in the past invented it and I have merely stolen it. Added. <laughs> For our purposes. Put it into glasses. Put it into glasses, shaken it up. Yesterday's experiment shake was a failure and the drink went on the kitchen floor mm. and made it quite mm. slippery. <laughs> but today it didn't go so badly. Now, it's quite frothy. It's really frothy. If Chris could pass me mine, then we can have a try. Chris has got a drink, but he's not going to talk today. Do you want to have a try and then and then I'll just tell the other listeners what's gone in okay. after they hear our reactions? Do I drink it? Am I drinking it first? We drink well, it we'll all drink okay. together. Okay. We'll all drink together. Okay. Oh, it's Whoa! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Can you use some words to describe it? Um, use your words. Tequila. <laughs> <laughs> My word is tequila. Um, frothy tequila and, yeah... Mm. That's quite squinty, isn't it's it? It's sharp. So it's quite what's sharp. Gone into the the white dragon is tequila, mm, fire, <laughs> lemon juice, and Quantro. I wouldn't have said Quantro. No. The Quantro's lost. You'd in never here. tell, would you? <laughs> the overriding flavour is tequila. Isn't it? And lemon. The Quantro is mainly just like glossing over the tequila, yeah. maybe. Oh, and then egg white and egg white. That's, and that's the froth. Isn't makes it? the froth. Um, is that supposed to be the smoke from the yeah, dragon's breath? Yeah, smoke. And then we've got a, a curl of orange peel as a garnish which we could say was the fiery flame of the dragon. I would say that were a dragon scale. I wonder about tequila. I wonder about Mm, it. Me too. Because I very very rarely drink tequila Mm. and so is that why when I do drink it it seems the most fearsome fearsome and overpowering of all alcohol. But we we used to, we have in the past haven't we? Mm. Yeah. I think with tequila, everyone has a a really bad tequila story about drinking tequila. If I do, I can't remember. Being exceptionally (laughs) sick. I remember drinking a lot of tequila at Reading Festival when I was 17 and all of us underestimating the power of tequila, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. drinking too much tequila. I've done similar with Malibu. I don't. I think people <laughs> underestimate Malibu. I think sixteen-year-olds underestimate everything. <laughs> Warm Malibu, and drunk then, behind a bush. Uh, in the night, I woke up in my tent like desperately thirsty mm. and found a bottle of water, just sucking and, the condensation like, swigged, from inside swigged the, tent. the water down. But the water wasn't water; it was tequila <laughs> because we decanted all the tequila into plastic bottles because they didn't ah! let you take glass. Oh, that's in. the worst. So we disguised it all as water. Only I was fooled by my own horrible trick. However, I am mm. finding this once you've had the first few sips. Yeah, yeah. Right, then you realise. Now I'm thinking the the subtle notes of the straight lemon juice are coming through. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say the warm glow of the Quantro is beginning to to cut its way through. Mm. Now, Rosie, can you tell us a little mm. bit about viewers and? Mm why we're doing a Bewers story for your guest spot. So I grew up in Bewers. 
It's a very lovely, I would say, a large, small village on the Suffolk-Essex border. And the River Stour runs through it. Mm -hmm. That's going to play a role in our story today. So that is the border of Suffolk and Essex, for the most part. And I lived there from the ages of naught through ten. And it's sort of nestled in the Suffolk-Essex countryside in amongst sort of Sudbury and Hadley and Stoke by Nayland and uh, so I guess Nayland and therefore Stoke. I don't know if it's Stoke. Stoke somewhere else. Um, but there's a lot of Stoke buys in uh, in that area. And it has a lovely little primary school. Mm-hmm. And when I lived there, it was famous for having the most pubs per capita. Oh, nice. Nice. Except it, you never got to enjoy that no, part of it. No, I didn't. I saw them. And I like to think that it was the most pubs per capita in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but it was probably just Suffolk. It had a cheese factory in it. <laughs> Which seems odd now. Yeah, it seems odd now. So, like, it's really rural and picturesque. And then just on the corner, like, there's this just giant concrete cheese. What kind of like a speciality cheese? Or just I don't know. It was generic cheese when I lived. Oh, a defunct defunct cheese factory. And now I imagine they're fancy flats, probably because it has a little train station, and it used to have a man. Like, it seems ridiculous now to think that it was some, you know, somebody lived or worked in that house, and his job was to come out and tell you that there was a train the coming. signalman type the signalman job yeah. yes yes and he would just always come out and say it's on its way up from chapel nice that was all he said and then he'd go back into his little hut. he must and have drunk so much tea yes but now i guess that that train line takes you somewhere near to a station that takes you somewhere into london so i imagine okay. that viewers is well perhaps Tipping to commuter land. Maybe, but I, I believe it's still quite a small population because I think the last... I had a look about it and at the last census, the population was um, only about 2,000, which seems oh. quite small, don't you think? I don't really know what populations look like. The village hall is not large. OK, you wouldn't fit 2,000 <laughs> in there. No, it has a cricket ground. It had a really angry swan. It <laughs> Every had... village must. <laughs> It had a little wood and all the trees fell down in that hurricane we had. And, 88. Um, 87. 87. When the man from Aloha Low got a trunk hit him in the head. <laughs> what? That's the Is that thing, real? That's Did he the die? Thing I, no, 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 he didn't die. But that's the remaining <laughs> thing I remember about that great wind was that, is he called Gordon Kay? Gordon Kay, oh who played oh Rene in Aloha Low, a branch came through his car and hit him in the head, and the news was like, actor Gordon Kay injured in Tornado. Um, (laughs) He was fine. That's odd, because as I approached your house, in my head, I went, as if when you opened the door, I was going to go, aha, tis I, Leclerc. (laughs) (laughs) But you said something else, and then it wasn't appropriate to say that afterwards. So I let it slide, but it's still there in my head. I derailed a low, a low, but now it's back. So I didn't go to a panto this year, which I had tickets for, but I thought it would be a definite way to get COVID. Yeah, sure. But didn't go to the panto because uh, I don't like them anyway. And my brother said, you should have come. The lead actress was Mimi from Hello, Hello. Really? Yeah. But she's not even the best waitress, is she? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if we have any international listeners, but just in case we do, mm. Hello, Hello was an 80s sitcom, which yeah. was about the resistance in the Second World War. Yes. And there was a cafe and they were kind of all working for the resistance secretly. Not very hilarious, you might think, but they mined, it seemed some, hilarious, they mined some comedy, but it was it was broad, broad humour, wasn't it? I'm it assuming was, so. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there was lots that I didn't understand Maybe. as an eight-year-old. And going back to viewers, oh, right. yeah, sorry. am I right that it's half in Essex and half in Suffolk? Yes. And the Essex half is called Viewers Hamlet and the Suffolk half is called Viewers St Mary? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then there's a little other bit up the road called Mount Viewers. Oh, okay. Which is on Little Hill. But yeah, so on the Viewers Hamlet side, you've got houses the train line and a little cafe that used to be called Two Teas. And on the Buist St Mary's side, you've got the church, got the cheese factory. Nice. You've got the village hall. It was all going school. on on that side. Yeah, it's much bigger on and that you, side. And you were there, weren't you? Yes. Yeah, the I Suffolk was in the mix side. where it all <laughs> happened. It's the sort of place where when I did a finger knit, I'd like to say it was a charity finger knit, but I don't think I I don't know what anything. a finger knit is. It sounds a bit um, rude. <laughs> So finger knitting is like a very cheap... It's like when you use your fingers instead of... 
What are they called? Knitting needles. Right. You say you use your fingers instead of knitting needles. <laughs> but the poles would be so big. Yeah. If you gave me a ball of wood, I'd probably be able to still do it. But really? I was obsessed with it at one point. And it basically gives you a long tube knit. Okay. And then you Very can... practical for all kinds of uses, I'm sure. <laughs> and then you can stitch it together, okay. I think. And when I did a big finger knit, I managed to go round the school porter cabin four times. <laughs> wow! That's good knitting. And I got in the village newsletter. Without ceasing? No ceasing. <laughs> That's incredible. So it's sort of that level of I'm amazed that when I looked engagement. on the uh, Wikipedia entry for <laughs> viewers, this didn't come up in the history section. It could section. have been the best thing that's ever happened. <laughs> Well, that's some nice background from One Who Knows, which we don't often have on this because we can't have someone every week from I've, every I've, location. I've heard some wrong pronunciations. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of those <laughs> on this show. So <laughs> it's nice to have your wisdom about viewers. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're going to be talking about is the viewer's dragon, yeah. which wouldn't have been there when you were living there. No. When I mentioned to my brother and my father that, that the viewer's dragon was mm. going to be mentioned, they were aghast. They'd never heard of it. Well, it's very new. So like, let me tell tell you what it is it's what's called a geoglyph mm-hmm. which is uh, basically a man-made design on a hillside or a field or something like yeah. that so the classic ones are the white horses that yes. we have quite a few yes. of in the uk the nazca lines in peru <gasps> seen them uh have you yeah are there they're also geoglyphs anything where humans take kind of natural ingredients mm. and make a big design yeah and in this case the ingredient is chalk as yes. it often is with geoglyphs in the UK. Other examples in the UK, uh, lots of white horses. Uffington, which is in Oxfordshire, and that's prehistoric. Right. Very old. Westbury, which is in Wiltshire, and that's 18th century, was put together. Thirsk, which is in Yorkshire. And Chris, you might remember, we have been to the Thirsk white horse. But it's actually sort of a grey one. It's quite grey. Mm. What sort of chalk is grey? I think it was not a... Dirty. Dirty chalk. Um, I think that they'd had to bring in a chalk that wasn't natural to the area and then it didn't really, upkeep was not, mm, was not got muddy. kept on. And it's quite grey. And Thirsk Tourist Board rather cheekily describes their white horse, which was created in the 1850s, as Britain's largest white horse in surface area. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because it's coloured in effectively right so like the horse is all the middle is meant to be white as well whereas something like the offington horse is like massive in terms of length yeah it's it's just a line yeah and they're made usually by digging trenches and then those are filled with the chalk so it's cut into the earth and then the chalk is like packed Mm. into Mm. the trenches do you know of any others in this country no there's a famous one there's a man with a (laughs) There is a yes. man. I think perhaps the most famous geoglyph in the UK is the Cern Abbas giant. That's what he is then. He is a giant geoglyph and he is famous for his large phallus, yes. his large erect cock. Yes. And large testicles. <laughs> Huge. Huge testicles. Now, do you know the surface area of the testicles? No, um, I know that in total... Does it say on their website, in total... these are the largest surface area <laughs> They haven't coloured them in. <laughs> I should have coloured them in. Somewhere outside Shrimpton is like <laughs> some giant balls on the mountainside, but they're coloured in. He's 55 metres high and 51 metres wide, though. Wow. So you've got to think the balls have at least got a few metres. <laughs> and they're a bit out of proportion, aren't they? I think, yeah. So the it's often thought that it's a, a fertility design because of the large focus given to the testicles and penis area. And he dates from around, they think, 700 to... 1000 AD or CE. This also reminded me, which you may or may not remember, there was an episode of Challenge Annika where she went to do... Chris finds this funny. You are the you second person. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about when you brought this up. Where she won, her challenge was set and the challenge was to... Uh, do a giant cock and re- balls on a hillside. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was to rejuvenate a white horse, which had grown, grown like... Uh, into disrepair so I looked up what this was because I remember her trying to do it and I remember that she didn't succeed in mm. completely renovating the white horse and this horse was the Osmington white horse in Dorset and this one was actually a figure of a horse and a rider weirdly yes. okay that sounds complicated and that apparently was 
carved to commemorate a visit to the area by George III in 1808. So Annika Rice and her gang of Boy Scout helpers went to try and like rewhite this white horse, basically, which all the rocks had come away and the chalk had all gone in the wrong places. But so I was like, oh, I've got this quite this nice memory of Annika Rice and the white horse. Yeah. And then I looked it up to find out when it was 87, sorry, 1989. Two years after the uh, branch went on Gordon Coast. <laughs> and, uh, it's good to have a timeline of yeah. these <laughs> important I, social events. I read about it and then there were just, there were like a couple of articles about basically what a shit job they did. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently they used the wrong kind of limestone. Oh, for fuck's And then sake. that degraded and started washing down the hill, which kind of started to distort the outline of yeah. the horse and rider. Yeah. And I found a weird article in Horse and Hound magazine. (laughs) (laughs) I read about this and they were very, um, very sniffy about it. And the article was from 2009 and they said that a new restoration effort was taking place. Without Annika. Without Annika Rice. (laughs) She is not allowed within a 50 mile radius. (laughs) Listen to what Horse and Hound say about Annika Rice. Ms Rice's meteoric rise from being a secretary at the BBC to national celebrity was only matched by her rapid exit from the spotlight when the programme was axed in 1995, culminating in Madame Tussauds melting down her effigy. <laughs> Horse and hound there is say- no greater ignominy than having your Madame Tussauds Your waxwork melted away, <laughs> recycled and made into Michael Bublé. It may Michael have Bublé. been short-term fame, but I don't, I don't think I can name too many other people other than Gordon Kay. Who like <laughs> resounds so clearly in people's memory? I think everyone loved Annika Rice, and I don't know why horse and hounds are being such asses about it. They frankly. obviously weren't watching telly in nineteen eighty-seven. No. So anyway, that was just a little, um, a little fun, fun <laughs> thing I found. And actually, Annika Rice was approached for comment regarding the new restoration, and she yeah. said, "She said we certainly thought that we were doing the right thing. I think maybe perhaps yeah. we were given bad advice, yeah. and I would yeah. love to help. And with maybe, the new maybe asking." A one woman and 14 boy scouts <laughs> to restore an ancient monument in 42 hours well, using nothing but a bum bag. Is <laughs> but that was the beauty of Challenge Annika. It had to be an almost insurmountable uh, yes. task, otherwise there was no Building victory. a hedgehog tunnel <laughs> is my... <laughs> the one I remember. That's more more relevant to Annika's skill set, maybe. Yes. Yeah, more more able to yeah, do that. Yeah. Anyhow. <laughs> so I remember when I went to visit the Nazca lines that their geoglyph yeah. yes, was made by just brushing away the slightly dirty rock. Okay. And it was literally just brushing away the slightly dirty rock and then underneath was the cleaner, whiter rock. Oh, I see. So it wasn't okay. adding anything onto the land. It was just a simple brushing. To reveal what was already there. Yes. Nice. Or I guess it was just the cleaner version. Yeah. And then the, the pampas of that mm. land is so flat and there's so little wind mm-hmm. that nothing for mm, hundreds, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know when A significant number of years, let's A long say. time. And there was no no kind of wind movement to, to brush it away. So oh, it okay. still stays there. But they're so unprotected, you can literally just drive on them. That's mad. I know, it's mad. And when I was there... There was a man and he had camped out and he was calling aliens. He was camping there because they were aliens and the aliens were going to come back. Sorry, strange. Sorry, I divert. Well, the white dragon, as we know, is not Mm. anywhere near as ancient. And in fact, the white dragon was carved into the hillside only in 2012. Ah! Okay. So it's really new. That's really new. No wonder new. your dad and brother didn't know about yeah. it. And that was to celebrate the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, of all things. I'm sure it's she was very appreciative wanted. of that. <laughs> and actually, that's uh, saying about the, the lines in Peru. The Buer's Dragon is actually on private land, so you can't actually walk on it. Mm-hmm. But you can see it from, there's a few vantage points. Yeah. And you can sort okay. of look over it. The construction of the beast required 100 tonnes of chalk. Okay. Hard to imagine, isn't it? That is. I don't know what one tonne of chalk looks Uh, like. It measures 75 metres by 95 metres. We can imagine that. It's an outline. It's not not coloured in. And to walk the perimeter of the dragon is around half a mile. So I wonder how long that would take you to finger knit. A, uh, a perimeter of the of the dragon. 
well, my eight-year-old self would be <laughs> busting out the wall right now and would be done by the end of the evening. Lovely. Swear it. The dragon's on kind of on all fours. And then he's okay. got one one front leg is raised. Okay. On the ground, of course. Yeah. He can't come out of the ground. And then he's got a wing, a big mm-hmm. wing, and his tail's got a curl, and then his mouth's open and he's got a long tongue okay. coming out. Fire? No, I don't think it's fire, only a tongue. Just a coming out. A serpenty tongue. Yes, exactly. So that white dragon is very new to the spot. Mm-hmm. However Well yeah, but but why? <laughs> but why? Why put a dragon on this hillside? That's what we all want to know. Mm-hmm. Don't we? And actually the story behind the white dragon is much older. Good. Yeah, because we don't really want to just be talking about something that started in 2012. No. And if a tale of a dragon came out now, we would be able to verify it or falsify it quite quickly, don't you think? Just with some camera film footage. Yeah. And some basic zoological knowledge. That's true. That's very true. So the first report of an actual dragon, not Mm. just an outline, but a dragon, in Bewers, the first report seems to be from the year 1405. That's really long ago. Yes. However, it's not clear if that account is recounting something that's just happened or that the monk who writes about it has been told another story by somebody like, oh, 100 years ago in this town we had a dragon and he's written it down. So... 1405. Yeah. What sort of a land would 1405 be like, clothing-wise? Sacks, Hessian sacks. Hessian sacks. Scratchy, I'd think, the sacks. Booties? <laughs> probably booties. <laughs> leather leather booties. <laughs> I think they'd probably wear some sturdy hats because it would be cold. Okay. And their faces would be rough and coarse is from it, working the land. Is it Puritan-y time? I don't know, no. to be honest. It's it's into is it early it's early Henry's I think but I could be wrong but uh, it's definitely deep in Hessian sack deep in Hessian sack territory so a local monk wrote of the dragon horror and I found an article from 1976 from the East Anglian Daily Times and the author of that article attributes the account of the dragon to a chronicler called John de Trocolo mm, who apparently chronicled some tales of East Anglian life. But then I learned a bit more about Trocolo and actually it seems that he was writing about 100 years earlier than 1405. So I'm not sure if we are to think, so something doesn't quite work out. Imagine a dragon, Mm. a big beast. Very big. A long-lived dragon, I would think. I know, but John de Trocolo didn't live that long. Oh. (laughs) Unless the dragon has given unusual long life. (laughs) It's blessed John de de Trocolo with unusual life. So anyway, it doesn't really matter too much because whenever we look at these early accounts, there's always a bit of like, it doesn't The thing about it's all happened. The past is... (laughs) It's all all just happened and some dates are attached. Yes. But whatever the case, the monk's account details the following events. In Sudbury, Suffolk, Mm -hmm. a monstrous sight was observed by several reliable townsfolk on the banks of the River Stour. They reported that they witnessed a huge monster emerging from the water, breathing fire and generally acting in a threatening manner. Well, it would be with fire. They raced back to the town to tell of this terrifying encounter, a creature the like of which none of them had seen before. Here's Mm -hmm. a description from the monk. Vast in body, with a crested head teeth like a saw and a tail extending to enormous length. Wow. A few brave souls decided to dispose of the beast and return to the spot, this time armed with bows and arrows. But the arrows only bounced off the tough scaly skin of the creature. Yeah. The monk writes, those arrows that fell upon the spine of his back gave out as they struck it a ringing or tinkling sound just as if they had hit a brazen plate and then flew far away off by reason of the hide of this great beast being impenetrable. Mm. So the arrows were no good, but it did enough to scare the creature, somewhat, I suppose, and it went back into the river Stour and began to swim downstream towards Bewers. The men to It's that angry swan. (laughs) (laughs) It's the angry swan of, of the 1405 version. They did warn Bewers that there might be a beast coming. Yeah. Some men were sent. They said, something has gone in the river and it's coming your way. They said they thought it was a dragon possessed by the devil himself. Right. And so it was. The creature emerged out of the river in an area called at the time Clappets. And without further ado, the beast guzzled up a shepherd and most of his flock. 
So, of course, the townsfolk of viewers were in quite a to-do yeah. at this news. Yeah, because flocks are very important in and 14 as lives. Lives. Yeah. <laughs> And also, they imagined the dragon would next come for them. Oh, yeah, that Just would be the worry. Chomping his way through the village. <laughs> chomping his way towards the cheese I, factory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wensley Dale! Give me cheddar! <laughs> a few brave few again tried the bows and arrows. Yeah. They... So the message didn't say, don't bother about the bows and well... arrows. <laughs> It's impenetrable. <laughs> they didn't share that piece of information. But once again, just deflected by the scaly skin of the dragon. Yeah. And this time he didn't go back in the river. This time the dragon seemed to make itself quite at home in the grounds of Smallbridge Hall. Ah. And showed no sign of going back in and carrying on downstream to menace another no. settlement. Well, it's now full of delicious flock. Just probably wants a little sleep. Yeah. It's found a nice hall. What would you do if you found a dragon in your village? Ah. How, so they now mm. had the question, what are we going to do? There's a dragon. I would Small use Bridge it as Hall. a tourist attraction. Would you? <laughs> you would monetise the, uh, the dragon. <laughs> yes. Because all they want to do is bathe in the gold. Also, Lord of well, the Rings would have us. That's thing. true. That's Tolkien's dragon, isn't it? Yeah. So, so I would use the passing tourists. Yep. To throw their gold upon the dragon, okay. placating it. I think that enjoying might... the pain of think... its impenetrable scales. I think if someone started to throw coins at my face, I'd become <laughs> enraged. Well, I definitely tried to make a friend of it. That's sensible. Yeah, and grow more sheep. Okay, just, <laughs> to keep just it grow fed. a few more sheep. <laughs> throw them in over the wall. <laughs> well, I personally would finger knit it a giant blanket. <laughs> To win its favour. <laughs> to win its favour. Feed it the meat of the lamb and then okay. use its fleece to, so to finger it. So you wouldn't try and get rid of the dragon? you just find no. ways to live with it? No, I think if it's found its place in a hall... <laughs> you just just keep it there? Yeah, don't poke it. Okay, well that's that sounds fine, but that's not what they wanted to do. <laughs> so they had to kind of make a bit of a plan because they thought we can't just live with this dragon... Eating our sheep. Well, yes, that is a problem, isn't it? The sheep are important, as are the shepherds. Yeah. And, yeah, if it needs feeding, resources are scarce. So they have to think, what can we do? Who lives in the hall? Maybe they want their hall back. Yeah, probably. Is it the village hall? I think it's probably a sort of minor aristocrat. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of hall. Yeah, so a not, land baron. Yeah, not the fanciest, but mm. probably in more, not maybe quite a Hessian sack fellow. Yeah. Maybe a bit more up Pigs outside. <laughs> Pigs outside? Yeah, not inside. I imagine in 1405 that you would sleep with your animals in your house. For warmth? Maybe. And then the other people in the hall (laughs) might live with the sheep outside. They'd have a special area. Yes. To put their pigs. Yes. Maybe. Interesting. I can't (laughs) verify this. I was once told that a special chair had a little drawer under it and you put a lamb in the chair, in the drawer under the chair to keep you warm. So, hang on, you saw a chair mm. that had a drawer under it yes. and you said, why is the drawer there? Or yes. you just somehow just you heard a story about the chair. <laughs> anyway, I used to give tours of this place and I told everyone that. The lamb and, drawer, you yeah, called it. Yeah, the lamb drawer. And until a small child just looked at me and went, doubt it. <laughs> to question the validity of my lamb and then a horrible dawning realisation came upon you that maybe the jewel wasn't for a little lamb yeah and actually that would be awful if it was (laughs) I can just imagine the child's sneering face doubt it well they sent out a plea to the surrounding areas yeah all around Suffolk and Essex yeah to say can you help us we've got this dragon yeah what are we going to do please maybe if we have more power we can defeat the dragon so many more people came to try to overcome Mm -hmm. and then a huge crowd of armed shouting men (laughs) advanced (laughs) upon the dragon in my head it's four guys going (laughs) (laughs) just like waving a stick in hessian sack (laughs) with an army of pigs behind yes Heavily armoured. The shouting men ran towards the dragon and actually on seeing so many this time, the beast took fright. Oh. And it ran off. This time it made its way on land. (laughs) Racing on foot over ground to the nearby village of Wormingford. Oh, never heard of Wormingford. And there the dragon plunged into a mere. Okay. Apparently never to be seen again. Although a local Wormingford legend tells that over the years... One corner of the mere would bubble 
menacingly. Mm. And local legend said that this was caused by the devil who lived in the mere in the form of a dragon. Amazing. But if you were the devil, would you choose to live in a dragon and then go in a mere, <laughs> never to come out? <laughs> no. I wouldn't either. No, it would be rubbish. I, that is a swampy half of an old mere. <laughs> no, if I were the goat of Mendes. Yeah, I wouldn't live in a dragon in a mere. Sure, I might live in a dragon, but I'd be racing about the countryside, yeah. furiously I don't believe fire. that a dragon would be scared off by... A shouting horde. A shouting horde. Well... I mean, think of how big this dragon is. Vast, we said. Vast in body. According to John Le Trocolot, quite vast. A vast dragon scared away by five angry men and a pig. Yeah. And then there's a little bit more about Wormingford. So a later adaption to the tale, the Mm. Wormingford part, Mm. suggests that far from disappearing forever, the dragon terrorised the area around Wormingford and could only be pacified by a constant supply of delicious virgins to eat (laughs) from the surrounding villages. That's classic dragon stuff. That is classic dragon. And so all of the villagers had to just send their virgins <laughs> to be devoured by the dragon. But soon the virgins ran out. Yeah. So they had to call for Sir George of Leia de la Haye, mm. um, who was from a grand family in Essex. Near Aspie de la Zeus. Probably. And Sir George bravely fought the dragon and was victorious. And the virgins were safe. But uh, I mean, the virgins were all gone by now, but presumably future virgins were safe. And the population plummeted. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on a minute. So the dragon was in the mirror. And then it came out. And then it came out. And terrorised the area. Stopped bubbling. Yeah. Ate the virgins. Yeah. Got terrorised by someone from Ashby de la Zeus. Sir George. Yes. So, but then that has become a kind of local George and the Dragon legend. Uh Because he was called Sir George. Could it be the George and the Dragon legend? Well, I don't think so because most stories of George and the Dragon seem to be set in the Middle East. So I don't think it's the one. But they obviously thought, well, we can always make our own George and this can be his dragon story. Lots of people were called George. Yeah. Why not have one slay a dragon? Do you know how many countries St. George is the patron saint of? Oh, good question. No. <laughs> it's quite... It's. I remember when I found out that it wasn't just England, because England patriots really love this St. George thing, don't mm. they? Yes. They love it. And then you find out, oh, he's actually also the patron saint of Ethiopia and Georgia. <laughs> and then you think, well, why have we claimed him? And then the dragon slaying took place in Libya or what's now Israel. Yeah. Why have we got so excited about him? It's just a very interconnected world. I suppose. And we have to have someone. He's also the patron why not saint George? of Catalan and Moscow and loads of other places. What other saints could have we have had? Well, I don't know. It just seems you'd want one with at least a bit of a local connection. Yes. I think let's let's get our new drinks. Yes. Because we need to, you know, crack on with drink number two. I'm excited about my drink number two. Okay. And then there's some more... It's got blood uh, orange in Some it. more stuff about maybe was there truth to the tale that I... I yeah, I have some questions. I have to Okay. <laughs> we all have some questions. <laughs> we'll come to questions. We'll just pause and get the next drink and then we'll have Delicious. a Q&A. <laughs> We're back. We're back. We're back with drink number two. Um, Rosie has prepared this for us. A lot of ingredients seem to go in. Yes. Can you tell us about your drink? Okay. This is a dragon's heart cocktail. Ooh. Mm, Dragon's heart. And it is made from rum and mezcal, although we only had tequila. And there's a mystery ingredient, which you have, which I won't say out loud, but you have to try and and identify. And then it's got bitters and lime Mm. and blood orange juice okay and And the mystery mystery ingredient ingredient. we're gonna try it now it looks like a kind of smoky red color yes oh oh sweet yeah really Mm. sweet like a sweet especially compared to our very fiercely (laughs) citric lemony Mm. previous drink this is very nice that is delicious can i identify the mystery ingredient i don't think it's strong enough cloves so close oh something a spice some kind of spice yeah It's a ginger liqueur. Oh. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm. I must say, this is very tasty indeed. It's good, isn't it? Really nice. I've never made a cocktail to a recipe before. It's worthwhile, I'd say. This is why people do it, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Because it tastes like what you might buy as opposed to... (laughs) chucking the crap from the back of the cupboard in a glass. A punch. I think the tequila works fine. Yeah, I think it's fine. I don't know if I've ever had mezcal, but I'm not sure what the difference would be. But I think this is very tasty. Yeah. I like this. Now, tell me your questions. Okay. I know there may be a lot. Some of them are to do with scale. 
not scales, but scale of dragon. So the Stour is long river, but it is not particularly wide. Okay, that's good first-hand knowledge that yeah. I, that we wouldn't have without yeah. you here. Rosie. So I I think of the Stour as being like slightly broader than a canal, I guess. Okay. So how big would a vast monstrous body be to have risen out of? <laughs> Out of the stour. Out of the stour. Maybe it's maybe it's bigger than I than I give it credit for. And surely some landscaping might have happened over time. Surely. You know how we've like made, you know we yeah. sort of narrower things, so don't we? If a cow was in the stour, could it right. be completely submerged? Yes. So a cow yes. could emerge out. Yes. A but cow could a, a dragon is bigger no, than a cow. Could, it couldn't because it was its hooves would not. <laughs> <laughs> but we know the dragon guzzled down a flock and a shepherd, so it yeah. has to be quite big. Yeah. It's a winged dragon. I guess so. Yeah. Because the second question is around the guzzling of the flock. Okay. Because <laughs> I know very little of agricultural ways, but I always think of flocks as being spread out. Sure. I don't see them lining up. To be guzzled. Ready to be guzzled. <laughs> so, but I'm, perhaps the dragon did fly yes. over and area just, and just snatch them, them up. up. Yeah. Like, That's what I think that he must have done. Yeah. Snatched them up. So there's some of my questions. Okay. Also, the hall. Yes, sure. It would perhaps be nice to see the hall or know its scale because does it have a big door? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I see. Okay, so when the monk, John de Trocolo, says the dragon set up home in Smallbridge Hall, so Mm. what I imagined he meant was in the grounds of the hall. Ah. But you're right, he doesn't say the grounds. He says I imagine like snuggled up by the fireside. Oh, that's why you were concerned about who lived there. Yes. (laughs) Because you thought they had to live with the dragon now. (laughs) Interesting. So, yeah, I don't know. I I think the grounds. I don't think he got opened the door and got in. Oh, okay. 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 (laughs) Because if he was quite as vast as everyone said, could he even fit through the door? Well, exactly. I have a, well, I know a bit more about it later, but I think something that doesn't add up is when the hordes came running at the dragon yeah. from all around, yeah. why did it race across the land on foot if it could just fly away? Ah, uh, yes. Maybe it was more <laughs> like a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a large ostrich. Yeah, so it's, it can technically fly, but it's hard. <laughs> it rather, it rather not. <laughs> yeah. So I was once talking in a museum of zoology to some zoologists and the conversation got on to dragons and I questioned... As it is want to do. Yeah. And I sort of, you know, I just happened a theorem that perhaps <laughs> they could exist. You know how, like, the Loch Ness Monster could actually be a plesiosaur? It, or Perhaps. Yeah, like, it could. It could. Big things No one can in. definitely rule out that it isn't. No one could do that. <laughs> so I'm just musing out loud, right? Yeah. In the company of academics, which sure. is a terrible idea Very... to any, any do. <laughs> Never do that in Cambridge. And I just happened to say, well, maybe these dragons could have actually been some sort of winged lizard. Sure. And I was smacked down <laughs> by someone who was just like, uh, but no animal could have two sets of arms in such a way because wings are actually the bird's arms. Right. So you couldn't have wings and, and arms. the little arms of a dragon. It's interesting you mention that because I, for some reason, was also thinking about this problem of arms. We, we were talking about it for some reason, weren't we? Because I was like something like a bat. Actually, mm. the wing is the, the extension of the of the arm isn't yes. it and the wing sort of tendrils are the fingers yeah and, and the, then and the the muscle that it like comes off the ribs in the yeah. same way you know as and a, there's no creature that i could think of that had wings and four legs no and that's been confirmed by zoologists now yes. through your anecdote yes so and i thought odd that they should pick up on that when the <laughs> in like the internal combustion of fire <laughs> the obvious stumbling block (laughs) yeah what about how the dragon makes a a furnace inside its body (laughs) that i thought was much more improbable but no um it's the arm and the wing thing so it might be that the wings are not strong and actually more like flippersy flappersy kind of like a skin flaps could be a fin yes yeah and also the fact that it keeps coming out of water Mm -hmm. 
that's unusual for dragons. Yeah, because they're creatures <laughs> of fire. Yeah. They don't want to go into a water, that singe, do they? That singe territory. Interesting. Well, I wonder if I will show you a picture now. This is a picture of Wormingford Church mm-hmm. window. Mm-hmm. Wormingford Church has an interesting stained glass window. And this was actually installed in the 1950s, but it shows what is a kind of more modern understanding of the tale of the okay. dragon. Is um, it more sympathetic to the dragon? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not more modern in that way. <laughs> We cast a different light on the actions of the villain of the piece now. But I'm going to show you the picture so you can sort of see it, hopefully, in this light. What do you see? I see an alligator. (laughs) I see an alligator with some human legs being munched upon. I think that's a virgin. Yeah, well, those are obviously the legs of a virgin. And... (laughs) Okay, so it's a stained glass window Mm. and there's a castle upon atop a hill... And brave knighty type person on a white horse, and he is jousting with a crocodile who's eating a virgin, <laughs> as a wise woman looks upon. So, oh, wor- it's an alligator. So that it's oh, so they're actually just saying that it's an alligator. So one sort of modern understanding of the story that has been suggested, or in the twentieth century, this has come to be kind of accepted, is that in fact the dragon of Buers was a alligator or crocodile oh are you disappointed yeah but this would answer some of our questions why does it keep going the river yeah why did it escape on land yeah i think we have to discount the fire breathing yeah because a crocodile can't breathe any fire but basically the suggestion is that has come to be accepted that it was an alligator or crocodile that escaped from a menagerie of exotic animals colchester zoo (laughs) perhaps and got into the River Stour and then caused mayhem up and down the river. Oh. Just chomping up sheep and things. Oh, no, I much prefer it to be a dragon. I find the... I mean, this does sound more plausible. <laughs> I find the idea of an alligator running around in Suffolk quite <laughs> funny, though. <laughs> also terrifying, because I'm really scared of alligators. I also like the fact that the in the stained glass window, obviously, claws are quite difficult to render. make real in lead. And they look, just look like paws, like a little cat's paw. <laughs> just big paddy paws. Yeah. Oh, no, what well, does I'm it sorry say? What does it say? It says, Go the glory of God in thankfulness for those who returned from the war of 1030 to 1045. This... Crusades. Ah, oh, that's Crusades. Mm. Okay. Why would the rendering of an alligator on a stained glass window give thanks to those that died in the Crusades, which is 400 years before said alligator. Well, I do have an answer, possibly, for that. Thank God, because I don't always have an answer. Now, so the story is, this new story, which I'm actually not sure has much more truth to it than the previous story, that the alligator, or crocodile, had been given as a gift to Mm. Richard I... Richard the Lionheart, as a gift by King Saladin... Sean Connery. ...during the Crusades, because he brokered some peace. Okay. And the idea is that he got given a crocodile. Okay. And he took it to his royal menagerie. Right. And then it escaped, and then it came to Suffolk. Do we know where his royal menagerie was? Well, I've done a bit of investigations Good. into the royal menagerie. There was a royal menagerie at the Tower of London for a long time. Mm-hmm. In fact, from the 1200s to 1835... There was a royal menagerie of exotic animals at the Tower of at London. At the Tower of London. Okay, so so an alligator walked from the Tower of London. <laughs> or swam. <laughs> Across yeah, Dedham Vale to Sudbury. <laughs> but hang on, didn't something more fiery happen in Sudbury? Well, the reliable townsfolk said they yeah. saw the beast breathing fire. But I think if I was just a mere Suffolk town you, lad... What are you saying and about I saw, Well... <laughs> I'd say the same for a, a Cambridge bumpkin. And I saw an alligator coming out of a river. And you're terrified of alligators. I would, I'm really scared yeah. of them because I'll tell you why. They're really worse sneaky. than a shark because they can come on the land. Yeah. And we all know a shark is bad, but an alligator's worse because <laughs> that can come on the land and run at you. They're also really spooky still. Yes, they're very prehistoric, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. And when they rise out of the water. Yeah, just their eyes. Very horrible. Just the eyes. And they'll wait on, if you climb a tree, they'll just wait under the tree yeah. until you fall They've out. They've got nothing else to do. Those bastards. <laughs> 
So I think a that shark. It's a a busy bee. It's very busy. It's got social engagement. It can't just wait around under a tree. I think that if you saw an alligator. It would be a scary and astonishing enough sight that you might like imagine some yeah, fire breathing. Yeah. If it opened its mouth, <laughs> you might imagine a burst of flame coming out of yes. it. Um, it might be a cold day yeah. and it might do that thing where its breath becomes smoke. So basically there was a raw menagerie, but I don't think the dates work for Richard the First. Yeah. Because Richard the First was, let me check my notes, eleven eighty nine to eleven ninety nine. And from what I can tell about the Royal Menagerie is it wasn't opened until the 1230s, basically. So I suppose the alligator could have been given to Richard and then it didn't get really housed until three decades later. How long do alligators live? They live a really long time, crocodiles Mm, and alligators. Prehistoric. Too long. Yeah. Like 60, 70 years they can live, I think. Just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Just getting bigger. But the menagerie, it seems like King John made a bit of a start on Mm -hmm. the menagerie. And we know that King John came after Richard, didn't he? (laughs) Do we know that? Yes, because he's (laughs) King John was kind of like um, looking after England while Richard was in the crusade. Yes, yes. And then he was king properly. yes. Made Marion and the Mary. Made Marion yeah, and the Mary. Exactly. <laughs> I'm only thinking Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> and then Henry the Third was apparently he came after John. Henry the Third was given three large cats by the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick the Second, and these so, were the the kind of a sort of Joe Exotic of the time. Yeah, exactly. It was all about showing off. Yes. So all the, the monarchs would kind of give each other these absurd yeah. gifts of exotic animals, which were not appropriate to keep mm. in the UK. And these were probably lions, but on the heraldry of Henry III, they're depicted as leopards. But mm-hmm. apparently it, the thinking is actually they were lions. Okay. And in 1235, Henry III put the leopards in the menagerie. There were a few other bits in there. It all went in the Tower of London. They built mm-hmm. some places to put them. In 1252, they were joined by a polar bear. Wow. The polar bear was given by the King of Norway. And apparently it was allowed to hunt for fish and swim in the Thames. What? They put a stout cord around its neck. Not stout enough. And the polar bear was allowed in the Thames and then they would pull on its stout cord and it had to come yeah, back. Yeah, and it would come lumbering To the Tower of London. Oh, all right. Uh, a few years after that, an African elephant was given by the King of France mm-hmm. and then that came to live. And that was a great success with the public and they all flocked to the Tower of London to see the elephant because this was the most amazing thing so far. Yes. So there was a menagerie and just a quick end of the menagerie just while we're on the subject. It came to an end at the Tower of London in 1835. Nine years before that, 150 of the animals had been sent to a new home in Regent's Park. London Zoo! London Zoo. So that was the beginnings of London Zoo was actually 150 animals 150, so actually that's a massive menagerie. Yeah, because apparently Henry III grew annoyed about how expensive it was to feed all the animals (laughs) and look after them. (laughs) The polar bear's Um, fine. He just nips in in the the Thames. Thames. He wouldn't get very far today. Actually, it's less polluted now, isn't it, than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, but you couldn't get there for Costa Coffees. (laughs) The wall-to-wall franchise coffee houses that you couldn't get past. Oh, the polar bear would just be trying to explain his name to a (laughs) Starbucks employee. (laughs) But as I say, the dates don't really work out. If Richard got given the crocodile near the end of the 1100s, would Mm. it then have been in the menagerie? We know that the account was written in 1405. Surely the crocodile was not alive all that time. We don't know when the account... So anyway, it's all a bit of a mess, but... And if it was able to breed, then why did it ever stop? Because there would have been lots of flocks up and down that Mm. Stour River. So if it were able to make the leap of 300 years, then it was obviously breeding. So why would it stop? And I used to try and catch fish at the bottom of the River Stour. And never once did that thing from Crocodile Dundee happen when I'm getting my (laughs) water (laughs) bottle. God. That never happened. I was going to say, if I've known you for 22 years and you haven't told me the story about when a giant crocodile leapt out of the River Stour and tried to eat you, I'd be very disappointed. But the possibility Keep is that, that one in I my suppose, back <laughs> that there were other menageries around the country, so okay. aristocrats would All also right. have these ill-advised menageries collections. Well, I see animals. how it's more plausible, but... yeah. 
So it could have escaped from somewhere else. Mm. Maybe not the Royal Menagerie, but it could have. Mm. And the people of Wormingford and Bewers would probably be like, well, we'd rather imagine it was a royal alligator that came out of the (laughs) the river. But it could just have been a kind of a lord. Your average Joe. (laughs) That could be the truth to the story, which lies behind the Bewers dragon. Well, if it was, I'd feel pretty foolish for drawing a big chalk dragon on my hillside. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's true. They could have drawn a crocodile, which I find equally as terrifying. <laughs> and actually, I don't think in the UK there are no other dragon geoglyphs, so it's quite unique. Yeah. I only wish that I'd learned it at school. I wish that one of my primary school teachers had made better the local research. The of the, of the yeah. viewer's dragon. They probably do now, don't they? Yeah, because they probably go and Maybe this podcast the... will be on the syllabus. <laughs> They'll learn all about your finger knitting. And they'll go, I've heard the voice of the the viewer's finger knitter. You'll take your place in local legend as well, you should. And I want a pig. You want a pig? I want a pig at the village fair once. (laughs) I guessed how many buttons in the jar or something. And I I want a real pig. And mum wouldn't let me take it home. You can't just take a pig home. That's like Henry III thinking you can just put a (laughs) bloody elephant in the Tower of London. Well, yes, it is. And I was very (laughs) cross with my mum. And now I realise that she was just trying to save me from the horror of watching a runty pig die. So what happened to the pig? I guess it just went home. So probably, or maybe the person who guessed the second nearest number. Some of farmers buttons. probably were involved. I imagine, and so. they didn't anticipate a small schoolgirl was going to get the buttons. Oh no, I'm sure they would have anticipated that. <laughs> I'm sure they just assumed that a, a mother would say, "Yes, fine, let's bring the runty pig home." Wow, what a life it was in. in <laughs> I think, unless we have any other additional well, thoughts. can I invite you and all the listeners to come to viewers and see the dragon? Yes, and but don't walk on it, remember, because it's on private on it. land. Yeah, They're very, land. very stern about that on the website for viewers. <laughs> Do not try to walk on the dragon. <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much for joining us, Rosie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the drink. It was mm, genuinely delicious. It was delicious. actually really delicious, wasn't Maybe it? we'll make another one. Yeah. And thanks for listening. And I um, I hope you'll tune in next time. We'll have some more stories. I think I think next time we're going to be back on some murder. So we'll be going from dragons to murder. The logical progression <laughs> of 2022. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you. And I will see you all next time. <laughs>